Well, guys, we were doing a series before I left uh, to go to Seattle uh, on John chapter 17, and we looked at the three different parts of Jesus' prayer that he prayed. Uh, the, the first part dealing with him bringing glory to God. The second part also dealt with the, the, the believers of that day, the apostles, bringing glory to God. And then we looked at the last part where Jesus prayed for the church today. And, uh, and part of what he prayed for the church today was that we could give glory and bring glory to God. I shared with you that there was five things that that we saw in that passage. And I just want to kind of review that because it's been a week since, uh, or actually two weeks since we did that. And I, I want to take just a minute. We said that there were several things that, that united the Godhead, the Father and the Son together. And those are the same things that are going to unite us together and unite us to them. And so those five things that we talked about are seen throughout John chapter 17. Uh, we talked about how that a common purpose uh, unites us together, that Jesus and the Father had a common purpose of, of mutual glorification, that Jesus existed and, and, and served in order to bring glory to the Father, and, and the Father gave glory to the Son. And so we see that in, in verses 1 and then again in verse 22. In John chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So here's Jesus saying, part of my purpose is that I can bring glory to you, but God, I can't bring glory to you unless you pour out that glory first on me. And so there is that, that mutual uh, glorifying of the Godhead. Uh, he says in verse 22 then, as Jesus is praying for, for those of us who would follow the apostles, he says to the Father, the, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, to believers, okay? That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly one. So in this, he says that the glory that the Father gave to Jesus, now Jesus is sharing that glory. He is bestowing that glory upon us. And so part of the, the, the thing that unites the church together, that unites the Godhead together, is a common purpose. The second thing we showed you that, that, that unites the Godhead is that they share the same mission. And that is that, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. In verse 3, we see Jesus talking about this. He said, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says later in that same passage that, that he has made known the Father to us so that we could know the Father and we could share in this mission. But part of Jesus' mission was to make known the Father to us. He says in verse 18 that, uh, that, that, that let me see here, uh, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And we said that we share a common mission. Our common mission is the Great Commission, to go into all the world, to share the gospel, to, to, to introduce people to Jesus Christ, and then to teach them to walk with him. The third thing we shared before I went to Seattle was that, that the, the Godhead shares a central truth. God doesn't have one truth and Jesus on earth with a different truth, but they share the truth. And, and in this passage in John chapter 17, Jesus alluded to that in verse 8. He talks about the fact that, that he shared truth with the church. He says, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So here we see in this passage that, that Jesus is describing the fact that he made known the truth of the Father because it's the truth that unites us. In verse 17, he repeats that again. He says in verse 17, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. 
we take the Word of God as that truth. And, and that's what we build our church upon. That's what we build our lives upon. And the more we build our lives around the truth of God's Word, the more it unites us together as the body of Christ. The fourth thing that, that unites the Godhead is this, this holiness that is in Christ and in God. We know that God is holy. We know that Christ came and lived a sinless, perfect life and that he was holy. And, and, and again, in verse 17, he talks about being sanctified by the truth. And, and, and then in, in verse 19, uh, he says, and, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. He says the truth is the word of God and it makes us holy. And then the fifth thing I shared with you is that we are united in love. Uh, Jesus says in verses 23 through 26 in his prayer, he says, I am in them and you are in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. That's his character, his nature, his attributes. And I will continue to make it known so that the love with which the Father loved the Son, with which you've loved me, Jesus says, may be in them and I in them. I want us to take this first part today, this part of, of being united in purpose. And, and Jesus' purpose was to bring glory to God. Our purpose for existence, the reason that God created you, and the reason that God created me, the reason that God's created everything that he's created, is to bring him glory. When we read through the Psalms, we, we, we read that the, that, that, that the creation brings forth glory to the Lord. That, that those things that God has created bring forth glory to God. That nature brings forth glory to God. There's all kinds of things that we see in Scripture that bring forth glory to God. But our primary purpose, the, the purpose for which God put you and I here, is not just to live a long life or to have some children or have some grandchildren. It's not just to, to get comfortable or get rich or to make a name for ourselves. But the real purpose that God created us is that we might bring him glory. We do that by being in relationship with God. We do that by, by growing in that relationship with God. We do that by reflecting him to the world around us, but God has called us to do that. And so we, we, we see that while everything that God's created was created to bring him glory, that also includes you and I. So our lives are meant to bring God glory. Our speech is meant to bring God glory. Our attitudes and our actions toward others are meant to bring God glory. So as we speak, we ought to ask the question, did, did what I just say bring God glory? Did, did what I just do bring God glory? Does my attitude bring God glory? Because if that's why I'm here, I need to examine each part of my life and say, is this bringing God glory? And if it's not, then that needs to change in our hearts. That needs to change in our lives. So we are put here to bring God glory. And any time that we fail to bring God glory, either by stealing God's glory where we, we do something and we say, look what I did, look what I did, and we try to, to rob God of his glory, 
or whether we try to suppress that glory and, and, and we hide it by, by maybe not telling the truth or not, not, not pointing out the things that God has done. If we suppress that truth or if we exchange God's glory, all these things are mentioned in Romans chapter 1. Things that, that, that man does to, to, to steal God's glory, suppress God's glory, to exchange God's glory. All of those things are sin because we are robbing God of his glory. We are not fulfilling our purpose for which God has put this here. Now, I don't say that to shame us or to make us feel guilty for, for what we've done or for where we've been. I say that to, 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 to let us know, to warn us, that if we want our lives to fulfill the purpose for which God's put us here, then you and I have got to examine even down deep inside to make sure that our hearts are where they need to be, that the words that we speak are building up and not tearing down. That the things that we say, the attitudes of our hearts, the, the, the places that we, that we go and, and engage with others, that we are doing things that are going to bring God glory and honor. Because to fail to live for God's glory not only affects our relationship with God, but it also affects our relationship with one another. When, when I live for my own glory, or I settle for a lesser glory than the glory of God, it, it creates distance between me and God. It disrupts our fellowship and this relationship that we have with each other. But it also tends to disrupt my relationship with those around me. It, it creates disunity instead of true unity. And I know that because I've experienced that myself. I've been guilty of that myself. One of the many things that made Jesus different than us was that Jesus lived every moment of every day for the glory of God. Jesus came and he lived his life completely for the glory of God. All the time, in everything he did, he lived to point people to God, to, to reflect the glory of God in himself and to reflect the glory of God in all that God had created. In John chapter 6, verse 38, look, with there, look with me at that passage if you've got your Bibles this morning. John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He came to do the Father's will. That was his purpose. That was his, his goal, was to do the Father's will, and by doing the Father's will, to bring glory back to the Father. He brought him glory, and that was his primary purpose. Even in his death, he brought glory to the Father. Jesus did so, and, and, and he was one with the Father, and he, he, he did things. And, and, and so what he did and what he said was exactly what the Father wanted him to say and to do. In John chapter 14, uh, verse 10, uh, he, he reiterates this again. He says, uh, they're in the middle of this, this discussion where, where the disciples are saying, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says in verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say, even the words I speak to you, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Here's what Jesus is saying. The things that you've seen in me are not of my own doing, but they are of the Father's doing. The words that I speak are not my own words, but they are the words that the Father has given me. Jesus is making clear that, that he was in sync with what the Father was doing because he was living to bring glory to the Father. I wish I could say 
that the deeds that I do are all from the Father. The words that I speak are all directly from God. But many times they're not. Many times they, are, they fall so short. But listen to what Jesus says here. I don't want you to miss this, this part where Jesus says, He says, the words that I say, I don't speak of my own authority. But look at this. The Father who dwells in me does His work. It was the Father living in Christ that was working for the glory of the Father. And here's the thing that I want us to, to grab a hold of today. If we, can, if we can grasp this and kind of wrestle with it throughout the week and, and really let it sink in and make some difference in our life, I think it will. If you and I are going to bring glory to the Father, that can only be accomplished as the Father lives in us and does His work in us. I cannot bring glory to the Father in my own strength. I can't do it. I can try. But it's not possible. I can't do what I've been put here to do without God dwelling in me and me surrendering to God and me cooperating with the work that God's doing inside of me. Anytime I quench the Spirit of God, I also subdue the glory of God. Anytime I, I pull back from what God's called me to do, then, then I, 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 I kind of dim, if you will, the glory that God wants to get through that moment. Anytime I try to do God's work without God, I fall short. It, it's impossible for us to do the Father's work apart from the Father. Some will say, well, I've been saved, and, and, and now the Holy Spirit lives in me, so I can just do anything I want to. I, I, I can do it all. And, and, and he brings to us everything we need to do the things that he's called us to do. But if I go out on my own and I try to do it in my own strength, then I will fall flat on my face. And God will not get glory. Even if I appear to succeed, guess who gets the glory? Me, not God. So as we look at this, we may think, man, it must be nice. You know, Jesus was in sync with the Father, that, that the Father was dwelling in him and the Father was doing his work through him. Wouldn't that be great if that was the way we, we lived? Wouldn't that be great if that was the way it was today? And, and the truth is, that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. That's what Jesus is praying for. He says, Father, you are in me and I am in them and, and I want them to be in us. I want this, this relationship to be so tight that, that, God, when you speak, we respond. When you say something, that, 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 that we repeat that. He's saying, I want us to be so in sync with the Father that, that what God does, that, that we do. But that's only possible if we are in deep relationship with God. So in John chapter 17, back to our main verse, verses 20 through 23, Jesus prays that we can be one with the Father. He says, Father, I'm not asking just for the apostles of that day, but I'm also asking for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them so that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and then you and me, and that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Father, we are going to dwell in them, 
And the glory that you poured out on me, God, I've, I've shared that glory with them. And, 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 and your presence in me and my presence in them. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is about to come and to live in them. And, and, and in that way, they can live just like Jesus lived. We can live the way Jesus lived. So if this is God's design, if this is God's desire, then why is it so often not the case? If God's desire is to dwell in us and his desire is for us to dwell in him, why is it that so often we fail to bring him glory? We fail to, to, to reflect his glory to the world. Why do we fail to do it in what we say or what we think or the things that we do or the things that we don't do? I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to speak for everybody this morning. But I can speak for myself and why I don't do that more often. For me, I feel like I fail miserably sometimes because I try to do the work of God apart from the presence of God. I'll see a need and instead of, instead of praying it through and asking God to, to work in me and to use me, I just jump up and try to meet that need in my own strength. I jump up and try to do whatever it is that's before me in my own power. And in my own strength. And many times it leaves us running on fumes. I honestly want to glorify God. But when I try to do it on my own, in my own strength, I fail. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've been through that. Where where you you, you see something that that may need to be done. Or your heart's desire is to bring glory to God. And yet you you forget to include God in that equation. You forget to allow the Lord to, 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 to do a work in you so that... He can get glory through what you're doing. It's foolish to try to bring God glory without enlisting God's help. How do we think that God will get the glory if God had nothing to do with what we were doing? So he calls us to lean upon him. I think what's even more foolish of me is to even think that my effort alone would somehow even be able to bring God glory. I don't know if that's pride or, or what, but sometimes we think, I can handle this. I, look, God, I'll, I'll call you for the big stuff, but I got this. But even in that, I, I, I may get the credit, and I may get the glory, and people may say, look at me and say, wow, that was really cool. But that's not the purpose of why God put that assignment before us. God gives us opportunities to live in such a way that bring him glory. And that can be simple things like parenting or grandparenting. It can be going to work and just loving on a coworker or helping somebody that, that, that you come in contact with day after day. It can be being nice to somebody at a restaurant. But, but guys, what I'm saying is this. We need the Lord to empower all the things that we do if he's going to get the credit and the glory for, for what is being done. So here's the good news. The good news is we don't have to try in our own strength. We are not left alone. We are not intended, never intended, to attempt these things alone. Even Jesus says to us that he didn't do what he did in his own power, in his own strength. It was God doing it through him. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2 real quick. Philippians chapter 2. It's going to be a very familiar passage to, to most of you. Paul is writing about working out your salvation. He says, I love it that as you've always obeyed, so not so much on, not, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. 
He calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then the next verse says, For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now follow this. He's calling us to work out our salvation. And then he says, but it's God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now follow this. If I'm going to work out my salvation, I'm going to live out my salvation the way God intends for me to live it out in front of the world. Before that can occur, I've got to allow God to work in me. God must work in before I can work out. God's work must proceed, uh, precede my work. God, what, what needs to be done inside of me, see, I won't even have the desire or, or the will to be able to work that if God doesn't first come and work in me. So Paul puts this in here. He says, look, I need you to work out your salvation, fear and trembling. Live it out in front of the world. But you need to recognize that first it's got to be God working in you. And he works in us both to will and to work. He changes our heart, that's the will, and then our hands, that's to work. And we do all of that for his good pleasure, for his glory. So before I can work out, God has got to work in. The only way to work out is to allow God to work in. So his work precedes my work. He's got to do a work in me before I can do a work in this world. So God is the one who initiates and sustains and completes all that he wants us to accomplish. Does this make sense? If we're trying to do it in our own strength, because here's, here's my tendency. My tendency is to go to the Word of God, to read a passage and go, what do I need to do? Go ye therefore into all the world. Okay, I need to go and I need to teach and I need to baptize and I need to make disciples. That's what I need to do. And, and that tends to be the way that I read Scripture. I read it and go, okay, what's required of me? What do I need to do? But before I can do, I have to be. And in order for me to be, God's got to do a work inside of me. He's got to transform me. And anytime I get those things reversed, you see, sometimes we reverse it. You say, what do I need to do in order to be a good Christian? And we get it reversed. I need for God to do the work inside of me, which makes me what I need to be in order that I might do what I'm called to do for his glory. When I get that reversed, it messes everything up. I say, okay, here's what I need to do in order to be a good Christian. And then I do, and I be, and I go, whoo look at me. That's not giving God glory. But when God begins with doing the work in me and placing that desire in me and, and doing what needs to be done in my heart to, to, to get it prepared for what he wants to do, then when I'm allowed to do the things that God's prepared me to do, I can say that wasn't me doing that. That was God doing that. And he gets that glory. So Paul's saying it's God that works in us in order that we can, he, he works in and then we work out. But our, our, our outworking is a response to the inworking of the Holy Spirit. So God initiates it. He also sustains it and he completes it. The God that began the good work in us will see it through to completion. So how does that happen? 
How does God do this work inside of us that then translates into the work that we are called to do? Well, we know that when we get saved, God places His Spirit inside of us. His Spirit breathes life into our deadness, and His Spirit brings uh, to us all that we need in order to live our lives that will glorify God. But if we continue to strive as if it's all up to us, I read a, a, a commentary this week that said some of us have this theology, and he called it the, the God in the gaps theology. I'm going to do everything I can, God, and I'll let you fill in the gaps. I'm going I'm to just do all you can do and leave the rest to God. And that's some people's theology. But that's not biblical theology. Now, it doesn't mean that we're to be passive and not do anything and just wait for God to do it all. That's not what he's saying either. But there's this balance to where we let God do a work inside of us and we become dependent upon the, 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 the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us so that we can then operate in the Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes about the fact that God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Look at this, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 10. His divine power, God's power, has granted or given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now listen, this is what he's saying. God, through his Holy Spirit, provides for you and me everything we need to, to, to live and to be godly in what we do. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Those things come through the knowledge of him who called us. But look what he called us to. He called us to his own glory. There again, it's part of our purpose. We're called to bring glory to God, to his glory and to his excellence, by which he granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers, recipients, partners of the divine nature. So here's what he's, he's building for here. He's saying, God gives us, makes available to us his power to live in us. He's provided everything that we're going to need for life and for godliness. He's done that as we get to know the Father, as we get to know his Son. And he gives us these precious promises. And through us, in, by faith, believing the promises of God, then we can be shaped and, and create, recreated, if you will, into this image of God, be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world, because of sinful desire. For this very reason, he says, I want you to make every effort. So out of what God does comes our effort. Now follow me. God gives us everything we need. Okay, We are not lacking anything we need to live life reflecting the glory of God and, 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 and to be godly in, in our attitudes and our actions and in all the things that we do. God has supplied all that. Where we get off track is when we try to do it in our own strength. So God's given us all things so that we can bring him glory, so that we won't miss our purpose. Notice that his power in us is that we might bring him glory. It's for his glory. It's, it's the power to know him, the power to understand his call upon our life and to glorify him by responding to that call. It's, it's the power to become partakers in the divine nature, verse five, uh, five, uh, 4, uh, to escape the corruption. Uh, literally, the rotting is the word that's used there, the rotting of the world, to escape that. 
Verses 5 through 7 is to grow in, in our likeness of Jesus. Look what he says in verses 5. This is the outworking of the inworking, okay? For this very purpose, this very reason, make every effort. Here's our responsibility. To supplement our faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So here's what's happening. God's going to do a work in us, and this is going to be the fruit that begins to appear in our lives. It's not something that you and I can manufacture, but it's something that we give our attention to, that we make, we make the effort to be able to, to cooperate with the work that God's doing in us so that these fruits can begin to, to, to be displayed in our lives. Virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. And then he says, here's why that that's so important. For if these qualities are yours, and they're increasing. In other words, we don't, we don't ever arrive. These, these are things that God's working in us, and he continues to, to grow them in us. So they're, they're ours, and they're increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody here say, I want to grow up and just be ineffective. I want to grow up and be unfruitful. None of us want that. But sometimes the way we live our lives will produce that. He's saying, if, if we don't let the Holy Spirit do in us, His divine power do in us what needs to be done, so that these things begin to be produced as a result of that, then no matter what we accomplish, no matter what else we do, our lives will be ineffective. We will not accomplish God's purpose for our lives. I may get rich. I may become well-known. I may have more toys than the guys next door. But my life, as God measures it, will be deemed ineffective and unfruitful. He says in verse 9, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. In other words, he can't even see what's missing. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. So he says, look, here's what we do. We, we let God do the work in us. We realize that the work that, that God desires to do is a result of God putting his power and his spirit inside of us. And then God begins to produce these things in my lives, in our lives. And as he does, then his power works through us, and he gets the credit, and he gets the glory. He is the one that's responsible for supplying everything that's needed to bring these things about. So God doesn't get glory. Even when I do good things, God's not getting glory if I try to do those things apart from God, if I try to do them in my own strength. But God is glorified most when I am satisfied most in him. God gets glory when I'm satisfied in him, when I abide in him. So this morning I want to close with John chapter 15. It's a reminder of what it means to be in the Lord and how, how critical that is for you and I. We need to be reminded often that apart from him, we can do 
Nothing. Apart from him, I can't bring glory to the Lord. Apart from him, I can't fulfill my purpose in life. Read with me John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So this is Jesus talking. I am the vine, Jesus says. My father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Remember what we just read in 2 Peter? That if we don't allow the Spirit of God to do his work, his power to work in us, and these things to to be in our lives and be increasing, then, then we are unfruitful, he says. Well, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, in other words, it's not abiding in him, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. So there's two types of branches. Those that are abiding and those that are not. There's no third type of branch, right? Those that are abiding will get pruned so they can bear more fruit, but those that are not abiding will not bear fruit and they will be taken away. And he says, already you're clean because the word that I've spoken to you. Now abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. So here's this illustration. John 15, Jesus is winding down his ministry. Okay, 14, he's, he's, he's walked with the disciples. They're, they're, they're heading toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe they're walking through the, the, um, the Mount of Olives and, and, and they're looking at all these vines and he's using that as an illustration. And he picks up a branch that's on the ground and it's withered and it's dead. And he says, this is what you'd look like if you are not abiding in me. That branch that's laying on the ground will never produce fruit. It's just there to trip up somebody walking by. Those branches are gathered together, but they'll never again produce fruit. Why? Because they're not connected to the vine. Why don't we go out in our yard and gather up the, the limbs that fall after a hurricane? Because we know those, those limbs are good for nothing. They've been separated, severed from the tree that they were on. And they are, even if the, you get home from the hurricane on day one, they may still be green. But they won't be green for long. They're disconnected. And they're dying. So he says here, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it's abiding in the vine, neither can you. So he takes the illustration and said, just like this branch that he's holding in his hand, just like this branch will never produce fruit because it's not abiding in that vine. He says, neither can you unless you abide in me. That is a powerful concept that I think hits our head, but I don't know if it makes it to our heart. When a branch abides in a vine, where does it get its life from? From the vine. Why is it critical that it it abide in that vine? Because apart from that, it has no life in it. And it can never produce that fruit. And Jesus says, just as that's true for an olive branch, it's also true for us as believers. 
We need to cultivate a moment-by-moment dependence upon the Lord. Realizing that everything we need is going to flow through Him to us. Life itself doesn't originate with us. It originates with God. And as His life flows through Him into us, then and only then will we be able to produce the fruit that brings glory to God. We've got some some different types of trees up in our place in, in, in the country. And some of those things produce lots of fruit, and some of them, I have never seen a piece of fruit on some of those. I've got one fig tree up there. I've never seen a fig on it. And what kind of tree is this? Well, it's a fig tree. How do you know? Well, it's got fig leaves. I've never seen a fig on it. In fact, I took it out right after the hurricane. It's like, okay, it got damaged. It's time to pull that thing out. It's not producing anything at all. A tree that has leaves may look pretty, but if its purpose is to produce fruit and it's not producing fruit, then that tree is worthless. And you and I as believers were created by God to bring Him glory, but but if we are not abiding in Him, we can't produce the glory that God desires and will never produce the fruit that God desires. It's the fruit that brings God glory, but the fruit can't come if we're not connected to God. And so when when I look at this passage, I'm reminded of, of how much I need a moment-by-moment dependence upon God. can't preach without a dependence upon God. Not powerfully. Not to produce the, the results that God wants to produce. We can't do any of those things. I can't serve you apart from being dependent upon the Lord. When we try to do that in our own strength, we get exhausted. And the fruit is absent. And we can go through the motions and we can be like an artificial tree, I guess, that looks somewhat real, but will never ever produce what it's meant to produce. So here in John 15, he says, look, just like that branch needs to be connected before it's going to to bear fruit, so also you need to be connected. You need to abide in me. For I am the vine and you are the branches. Look at this. Whoever abides in me and I in him. So that's, that's the neat thing, is that we abide in Christ, but at the same time he is abiding in us. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he warns us of the danger of trying to do it on our own. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and he withers. And the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. Jesus says, that's not the outcome that you're after. That's not what you desire. If you want to be a branch that brings glory to God, if you want to be a believer that brings glory to God, then we have got to be sweet. We've got to, we've got to cultivate this, this, this intimacy with God, this moment-by-moment dependence upon the Lord. An opportunity presents itself to us, and we say, Lord, would you help me to bring you glory in this moment? Father, would you give me whatever it is that's needed to minister effectively right now? We open our mouths to speak, but before a word comes out, we stop and say, Lord, is this going to glorify you? We we respond 
And we say, Lord, is this going to glorify? We stop and we ask, how, how is this moment going to glorify you? And the only way that's possible is if we are abiding in him. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's that truth again. My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Look what Jesus says in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, then you'll, you'll be abiding in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Follow what he's saying here. As we live lives dependent upon him, connected to him, drawing our very life from him, as, a, as, a, as a, a branch is connected to the vine. As we live that way, our lives can bring glory to God. We will have the strength that we need to obey his commands. And he says, and this is my command, that you love one another. So our unity as the body of Christ is, is ultimately contingent upon our unity with Christ. If I'm going to do what God has put me here to do and to bring him glory and to be united with other believers as Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, then the only way that I can do that is to be connected moment by moment to God. Not walking in my own strength, not walking in my flesh, not walking according to my own wisdom, but leaning not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledging him. That he might direct my paths, Proverbs says. That's the way God's called us to live. And that's the way the body of Christ is built in unity. It's the foundation upon which these other four things that we'll look at build. Is that we have got to be connected intimately with Christ. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot serve him in any way that will bring him glory. Apart from being connected to him. So when you serve... Are you leaning upon the Lord? Are you trusting in Him? Are you just doing what you can do in your own strength? And, and, and living out this God of the gaps theory that, you know, I'll do what I can and I'll just trust the Lord to take care of everything else. We ought to be trusting the Lord to take care of everything, period. Because He's the God that wants to be involved in everything that we do. When we abide in Christ... And we find in him our very life, our breath, our purpose in him. We also find everything that we need to bear fruit that will bring him glory. So then and only then can we bring God glory. Now, God doesn't save us and then cut us loose. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite, that you and I were set free from the world, but we were grafted into Christ. A beautiful picture of him taking a wild branch and grafting it into himself that we might draw our life from him and that as a result we might produce the results that he wants us to. So apart from him, verse 5, we can do nothing. 
if we want to fulfill our purpose and we want to bring glory to God, then you and I must intentionally abide in Him. Living one with Him. Letting Him open our eyes to the things around us. Letting Him tune our hearts with His so that when an opportunity presents itself, we are in tune with Him and we know what He wants us to do at that moment. We'll stop missing the opportunities that come before us. We'll start looking at others in a way that if my life is to bring God glory, then then I live for that glory, not for man's applause. As God works through us to produce a fruit that remains, then he gets the glory. And it reminds us that all this started with him and it continues through him. In verse, uh, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. There's nothing God won't do if we will set our heart on on bringing him glory in everything that we do. It starts with us abiding in him and learning to live moment by moment in his presence, moment by moment by his spirit, doing all that we can to, to make sure that we're not quenching the spirit of God, that we're not stifling what he wants to do in our lives. So as we live for his glory, united with him in purpose, and united with other believers in that same purpose, then we will watch God do a mighty work. It's the first step to the unity that Christ prayed for in John chapter 17. And it can be ours, guys, if we will set our hearts on him, and we will make sure that what we do is not in our own strength and not for our own glory. God has not called us to build a name for ourselves or a name for this church. He has called us to be a reflection of him, and to bring him glory and honor in all that we do individually, in all that we do as a body of Christ. And if we will set our heart on that, it will lay the foundation upon which these other things will build that we'll talk about in the weeks to come. Would you pray with me?